0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today and our topic is biofuels. We get a lot of questions about this. We're going to talk a little bit today and get a couple great guests coming on today to share a little bit more information as well. Of course we're right in the middle of the growing season. If you have agronomic questions, we're always available. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD throughout the show and you can email us radio at agphd.com.
1: All right, so I'm Brian Hefty, and that's my brother Darren. Yes, we are talking biofuels today. We're going to get to the Ag PhD Mailbag in our first segment here right away, because I think we'll be talking biofuels with our guests most of the show. Um, Let me just tell you this. The reason why we wanted to talk about biofuels today is just, when you think about it, biofuels, where is this coming from? It's coming from our crops. And so there are a lot of myths out there, a lot of misconceptions And hopefully we can clear up a few of those things today for you. And, again, if you've got any questions about our topic biofuels, just give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. Okay, right now we're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag.
0: It's the mailbag! First question comes from Larry. He said, we have access to chicken litter and we use it when conditions allow us to get it spread. My question is, is it better to put it out after it's been composted for six months or to just spread it directly out of the poultry house? Is it worth the cost of storage and to go through that
1: composting cycle? Um, My personal opinion, no. If you want to compost it, though, it, it's certainly fine, and it, basically you're making it like potting soil. You're going to see much slower release of nutrients, but it doesn't change in terms of the salt content or any of the uh, concerning things that we are worried about with manure. But I, I would say the the biggest advantage probably with composting is you get rid of some of the pathogens in there because it's going to heat that pile way up. So it's going to make it at least a little bit more sterile of a fertilizer. So if you have any concerns there, then, you know, it's perfectly fine to, to compost that. Just like you say, it takes a little time and everything. If you are worried about weeds are you going to kill all the weeds by composting no but it help and you definitely help killing some of the diseases insects you know any of those kind of things that, that could be in that chicken litter so anyway yeah there are advantages and disadvantages I I, I I, don't know for sure you just have to try with your source and in your situation try it both ways and see what you think
0: all right thanks for the question now I get this one in from Adam, an interesting question here, Brad. He said, this is my first year farming with my own dollars. And isn't that interesting, Adam? It's always fun when you're starting to put your own money in there, how you look at things, maybe slightly different. He said, I've been a longtime listener of the show and I want to do some tissue sampling this season to start learning about my crop and build my own database over the years. So I'm farming 20 fields and I'm Farming fairly close to home. Everything's within about 15 minutes or so. Just wondering, what would you guys do for a tissue sampling program? Would you try to do all 20 fields or would you just do a few no. fields? Do you like good spots, bad spots? Yep. Uh, how much should I invest in this? And then, of course, the crop is going to get bigger. I'm not going to be able to drive a four-wheeler to all parts of fields. So do you kind of plan it out so you have places you can get to Definitely. throughout the season? Definitely.
1: Where would you say he was
0: from? Eastern South Dakota. Okay.
1: Well, we also farm in eastern South Dakota, and I'll just tell you this. I was a bigger believer in tissue sampling 10 or 15 years ago than I am today. I'm not saying it's a waste of time or bad because we continue to do it, but soil testing for me is where 99% of the value is, and the remaining 1% is tissue sampling. So I I, I guess my suggestion for you is I'd probably take, let's call it three fields, or here, let's make it Like, make it better. So let's just say that you're like us and you're corn and soybeans. I do two corn fields and I do two bean fields. I'd start with the corn fields immediately tissue sampling. And you want to sample it every week for preferably 12 weeks. Pick the same two spots in each of these two fields. And it's two spots that that you can get to fairly easily. And I always tell people, take a good... A high yielding spot and take a low yielding spot and hopefully by the end of the season you're going to be able to see the difference but you really have to get through the season if you want to try addressing some things as you go you certainly can try but it's not real easy in our experience especially in a dry land situation so anyway with soybeans then do the same thing couple of fields couple of spots in each field spots you can get to a high yield spot and a low yield spot but I probably wouldn't start sampling on the soybeans for maybe another couple of weeks and again i'd sample for 12 weeks and just see what you find out by the end and let us know if you get any questions along the way
0: all right, thanks for the question. I know we probably don't have enough time for this one, but Andrew from New York's got a question. He said, I've Been reading Neil Kinsey's book, Hands on Agronomy, and in the potassium chapter, as you well know, he states, It's difficult, if not impossible, to build potassium if your soil pH is over 6.5. So just kind of curious. I know you guys have probably worked on this. Most yep, of our we soils, 6.5 to 7.2 pH, base saturation K, 3.5 to 4.5. Can I increase it? What should I do?
1: Yes, you absolutely can. And this is one of the things at Neil's last seminar that he said, it was very interesting at the end because I just said, okay, in the last few years, what, what's been different for you? What's, what have you learned? I mean, what's, what's new? And he said, well, one of the things that I found interesting is the work you guys have done. So talking to Darren and me on this potassium thing, because we have been able to build with potash, even when that soil pH has been higher. My and one of the things I said that day was, Neil, I think what hap- has happened to you because Neil looks at farmers' fields and he's talking to farmers and he's getting feedback from farmers all the time. And that's great. I do the same thing. But a lot of people say, Oh, I put lots on. And you go, Well, if you put lots on and it's not changing anything, boy, that's that's not good. But here's the thing. If you have really heavy soil, which a lot of high pH fields are, you have to put not just lots on, you have to put lots and lots before you start making any headway, because you have, I mean, just literally tons, not figuratively, literally tons of calcium, and in some case, a ton or half a ton of magnesium, you got to put on a lot of potassium to get yourself in ratio. But anyway... Um, I'd just say we want to be addressing anything that's caused the pH to go high. If you're doing that and you're putting potassium on at the same time, you absolutely can build those levels. Stay tuned. We're going to talk biofuels right after this.
2: Growing up on the farm, I woke up as early as mom and dad. I put as many hours on the tractor, changed as many teeth on the tiller as my brother's. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, man or woman. When there's work to be done, you put your boots on and you do it. I do that on my farm and in my job at Case IH. My name is Kelsey. I'm a farmer and I work for Case IH.
0: Case IH built by farmers. The weeds are coming! The weeds are coming! Hey,
2: Paul Revere!
0: This whole midnight ride thing is
2: getting real. But like-
0: the ppd resistant weeds are coming. We've got Verdict Herbicide. Verdict Herbicide? Yeah, it's a non HPPD corn pre herbicide from BASF. Well, well then, get some sleep.
2: Yeah, will do. The weeds are coming! Switch to Verdict Herbicide! Always read and follow label directions!
0: At Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support the ag industry. That's why at our free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event, we're giving away more than 100 college scholarships. Plus, we'll head out into the field for hands-on agronomy sessions, including our comprehensive guide to crop scouting. This day may be geared towards younger farmers, but whether you're a college student or just want good agronomy info, this is one event you won't want to miss. Learn more and register for the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event at agphd.com.
1: Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio, Brian Hefty here, along with my brother Darren. We are live in the Morton studio today, and we're going to be talking biofuels on the show. We're going to have some guests joining us here in just a little bit, but I, I want to take you back. This goes back. I'm trying to think, Darren, when, when did our dad first invest in an ethanol plant? It was Laverne, Minnesota, yeah, 25 years 19,
0: ago? Early 1990s, I think.
1: Yeah. So anyway, it was one of the things where I just remember him saying this. He said, okay, I look at this as kind of my hedge. So in other words, if the corn price is high, I don't expect the ethanol plant's going to do real well, but you know what? I'm going to make money on the farm. Now, on the other hand, if the corn price is terrible, which unfortunately we had a lot of terrible corn prices because we were just coming out of the 1980s and the 1990s, I'm sure for those of you who are farming like we were, you remember those times and it was brutal. So anyway, he just said, well, this is kind of my hedge. If I have low corn prices, then hopefully the ethanol plant is going to do well and it's going to make some money. And as it turned out, like that Laverne, Minnesota ethanol plant, it did phenomenally well. Uh, we, were, we invested in a number of different poet plants over the years. Uh, for the most part, they, they did great. Um, for both Darren and me, we're still invested in a number of different ethanol plants out there. We've invested in biodiesel plants and a number of other things in terms of this whole biofuel side. So there's an argument out there that people say food versus fuel. And so let me just talk about that real quick. That I just want you to think about this for a second. With corn ethanol, for example what's happening is they take the starch out of the corn. They leave all the nutrients and minerals in there. So that goes to the feed. So in other words, you have more concentrated and better feed for the livestock. If you want to replace that starch you pulled out, I mean, there is the thought that, hey, you know what? I could go take corn stalks. I'm not saying take corn stalks and turn them into ethanol. I'm saying take the corn stalks and that's your starch that replaces the starch lost by what you pulled out in making the corn ethanol. So anyway, what my argument always is, is it's food and fuel. It's not food versus fuel. Now, does the fact that we have ethanol help the corn price? Yeah. But let's look at how much corn we were raising before ethanol was even any, any deal at all. So go back 30 years. Heck, go back to the 1930s. Look at how many acres were planted in the United States for corn. So this corn crop has been there for a really long time. And so I just think it's a real stretch when people say, well, we're going to figure land use (laughs) into the factor for ethanol. And I'm going, wait a second here. We're actually farming fewer corn acres than we were in the 1930s. So what are you saying? That we're just going to idle these grounds? I I don't think so. We're still going to produce corn and then that's going to get a lot of that's going to get fed to cattle. Well, right now we're taking distiller's grain and feeding to cattle. So anyway... Um, yeah, I, I just I, I don't buy this food versus fuel argument. I think that we can produce both. And I'll say, too, here in the United States, we as farmers have been real good over the years at overproducing just about any market they give us. So if you want food, we can do that. You also want fuel, we can do that, too, as farmers.
0: All right, we got our first guest on right now. It's Mark Rausch from the Auto Channel. And if you've read some of Mark's impassioned writings about biofuels and what's going on out there, you're probably as fired up as I am. Uh, Mark Mark is a great resource for us. How are you doing, Mark? Great, guys. How are you? <laughs> well, pretty good. Brand is just talking about the whole food versus fuel thing. What What's the new big challenge for ethanol, or is it still food versus fuel? The, the cha- I
3: hate to say it, the challenge is the ethanol advocacy groups. <laughs> um, the myths are there, they continue to be there, They are lies, They're, there is nothing wrong with ethanol fuel. And on the issue of food versus fuel, that, that is something that it has been blown up uh, by me only a hundred times, but by other people a uh, thousand times. It is absolute nonsense, it does not exist. Um, and uh, so, but I think the big, I mean, but it's still there. I still get every day, I'll get somebody writing to me and telling me about, oh my God, we're using so many, just as you were just talking about, we're using so much land and this and that. And I respond as you guys just responded. I say, uh, don't you know that there's less land being used now than there was? <laughs> don't you know there's less water being used now than previously, you know, and all that. But it continues, the lies continue, and that's part of the problem with the ethanol advocacy groups where they are not telling the story properly to the public. The public is not hearing this. And more importantly, maybe more importantly, is that automotive influencers are not hearing this story and he- don't know this. So. I'm in constant battles with not only with people who are public who are trying to spread stupid things, but I'm in constant battles with the other media, automotive media outlets who continue to spread the, the wrong information. And that has to stop. And there's nothing being done about it. The Auto Channel, my company, the Auto Channel, is, is the only significant automotive media outlet that continuously champions ethanol now somebody could say well it's because you guys are crazy but I'm, I'm open to debating anybody at any point in time anywhere in the world and I will debate them debate them and show them that we're that if we're crazy it doesn't matter it's just that we're crazy about ethanol because it is good it is the best fuel And it is what we should be relying
1: on. So, Mark, here's my contention. I just believe that people have been brainwashed. They get all this nonsense thrown at them from the other side. And if you continue to tell a story out there, no matter how true it is, you continue to tell that story, eventually people go, well, I don't know, this is the story. So, I mean, I think that's the whole problem is there isn't enough pro ethanol or pro-biofuel information out there, uh, compared to all the con, all the stuff that they are trying to convince you of. W- what do you think?
3: I, 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 we agree completely. And and it's to that point that I say that the problem is the ethanol advocacy groups. Because we've gone to them, you know, they've they've used us, they've asked us on many, many occasions to write things for them, do things. And we've gone to them with big plans, big programs, on how, what we would do and how do we would take how we would handle this. But they don't want to know about it. and they, they continue to sort of just pretend like it's going to go away. You know, I, I was told uh, 12 years ago, 14 years ago, by one of the groups that they have to be careful because the biggest customer for ethanol fuel. Is the oil industry because they're the ones that are putting it into the fuel and they could decide to do something else if they wanted so they have to be careful they can't be too crazy well unfortunately what's going to happen is that the ethanol industry is going to be gone because we're going to stupidly let electric vehicles take over which is not the answer is not the solution to anything and and ethanol is not going to get the chance that it's supposed, that it should be getting, that it's, it's, that it's owed because ethanol is the correct fuel to use. There's nothing wrong with an internal combustion engine other than the fact that it uses a terrible fuel, and that terrible fuel is gasoline or diesel fuel, petroleum diesel. If it was using ethanol, that internal combustion engine would be fantastic. It would continue to be fantastic. It already is fantastic, and so that's what's got to happen. And the story has to get out there, but they're not, the the ethanol advocacy groups don't want to tell the story. They want to they want to play patty cake with politicians and hoping that that somebody in Congress or somebody in the White House is going to. Say, let's open the door. Yeah, you
1: and, know, and and so far they've put mandates on and things like that. But yes, you're right. At any point, those things could go away. Hey, we got to take a quick break, quick break, Mark. But if you can hang on with us, I, I would like to talk just a little bit more. You brought up the electric vehicle versus biofuel thing. I think that's a very interesting topic that a lot of people they've been again, to me, in my opinion, brainwashed that oh, electric vehicles are going to solve all our problems. So if you can hang on, we'll be right back here. Yep. All right. Stay tuned. We are talking biofuels on our show today. And again, if you've got a question for us, anything you want to talk about with this, 844 44 ag PhDs, is our number. We'll be right back.
2: Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit MortonBuildings.com. Are you ready?
0: We got the need, the need for seed treatment.
3: Start
2: Start your engines. Ready, set, in Tango. Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com slash Intego. Always read and follow label instructions.
0: Learn on the job with the c Apprenticeship Program. Through in-person training and on-the-job experience, this unique opportunity gives you the chance to learn advanced ag diesel technology without the traditional technical school format or expense. Learn more at cbequipment.com careers.
2: From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit mortonbuildings.com.
0: You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day with guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running than ever before. The Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drink available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything's free. Go to agphd.com to learn more for the Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th.
2: Nothing but net. Win your soybean season with the fast knockdown and lasting broad-spectrum control of Elevest Insect Control from FMC. Take on armyworms, stink bugs, soybean loopers, and more with the maximized ratio of premier active ingredients for better overall control of more than 40 labeled pests. Visit your FMC retailer or elevest.ag.fmc.com to up your game this season. Always read and follow all label directions.
1: This is Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio, talking biofuels today. So right before the break, we are visiting with Mark Roush. He's with The Auto Channel, and you can go for more of his work to theautochannel.com. But anyway, Mark, we wanted to... Uh, to talk just a little bit more about the whole electric vehicle thing and there's also carbon that enters into this so a lot of people in our society today are talking about this carbon problem that we have which I still question if we actually have a problem or not but anyway nevertheless everybody's focused on carbon and so they go well electric vehicles are going to solve our problem so talk to us just a little bit about carbon electric vehicles and all that versus biofuels like ethanol
3: okay uh, uh, firstly, if you don't mind, I have to quickly thank you guys, publicly thank you, for inviting me to Field Day last year. It was absolutely fantastic. It was magnificent. Everything from the air show. The corn looked beautiful. I mean, the corn stalks <laughs> were gorgeous. We have nice corn in California. But I'll tell you, that corn, it it, it it blew me away. It was so beautiful. But everything about it, It was it was like an... It was like a Disneyland, if you will. You know, uh, <laughs> Disney I for mean, farmers. Was, yeah. There you go. <laughs> I, I tell you, it was so fantastic. It thank was, you. it was Americana at its best. Okay. Now, thanks, Mark. So let me get. So thank you for that. Okay. So, electric cars uh, work. Electric cars have worked for uh, I don't know 125 years. The pro- but there's a lot of problems with electric cars. Uh, originally, of course, it was the batteries didn't work. You know, 125 years ago, yep. and then they there was no easy connectivity. If you wanted to go for a ride in the country right. with your sweetheart, uh, you you couldn't go anyplace because nobody you couldn't charge the car, right. and you couldn't get any kind of direct electric. All right, so along comes the internal combustion engine. Um, EV cars are. Um, so they work. so people say well aren't, aren't don't they they go fast isn't that great yeah they go fast that's very good but there's there are speed laws in every state and and as we get closer to autonomous driving what'll happen is everything is going to be um governed anyway right so you're going to get in your car and you're going to say here I am in my my great electric car we're going to zoom but the computer on the car is not going to allow you to do it because it's governed by speed controls. So it's stupid. It doesn't mean anything. Now, there are a lot of problems uh, that start with the fact that in order to get some of the elements that are required to make the batteries, you have to have slave labor in Africa. Um, It's supposed to be that we're, we're past the time of slavery and slave labor and things of that nature. We're supposed to be past the time of having children working in mines or in in fields with their hands to dig out these rare elements but that's what's going on in africa it's what's going on to a degree in china and china has its own issues with slave labor having to do with the um, the uyghurs so i mean you've got those kinds of things you've got a lot of pollution because of all of that you've got a lot of pollution happening in the making of the cars and then the cars themselves Have have issues. The technology is not a fixed technology. It's not perfect. It has not been perfected. The closest might be a hybrid car, and of course we have hybrids now. The problem is that the hybrids are using internal combustion engines that are powered by gasoline. If those hybrids were powered by flex fuel engines or or you know E85 which is by the way what the Chevy Volt was supposed to be it was supposed to be an engine that was going to be fueled with E85 combined with the chargeable battery that would have been great but GM whimped out at the last moment and and forgot to include the E85 thing but that's what should happen now on top of that it shouldn't even be E85 frankly we should be running E98 and yes there has to be a cold start ingredient to the fuel but that cold start ingredient can be made from ethanol itself so it doesn't even need gasoline okay now um, ethanol powered cars an ethanol powered car is less polluting than
1: an electric car
3: and I'm not talking about just in the making of the car I'm talking about
1: afterwards How so?
3: An ethanol, because ethanol ethanol is about, let's see, they say that an an electric car will be 40% less um, uh, harmful emissions than a gasoline car. But if you had a car running on ethanol, you would have at least a 40% reduction in the pollutants, in the emissions that are coming out of (laughs) the engine so you actually wind up having a vehicle powered by an internal combustion engine burning a fuel that is cleaner than what it will take to be to be recharging your car because cars get have to get recharged to a large degree by coal-powered plants or or other or gasoline or gas-powered plants and so the ethanol is cleaner than that and it was cleaner to make the internal combustion engine car than it was to make the electric car, because in making the electric car, it's supposed to be that after about four or five years, you finally get to a point where it balances out and where it becomes a, a, a positive to have an electric car. But in the first few years, that electric car, in 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 its totality, has caused more, more pollution, more harmful emissions than, than the gasoline-powered car. But if you have an ethanol-powered car, you solve that problem right from the start. So if we have a problem, if we have an existential threat that is on our doorstep that's going to kill every man, woman, and child, and all of our beautiful pets, well, we have to do something now. Not in five years, not in 10 years, not in 15 years, not in 20 years, now. And that something is ethanol, a lot of ethanol fuel. And every single car that is on, every single gasoline powered car that is on the road today can use much, much, much more ethanol than E10 or E15. And the whole silliness of the E15, like here we are today We're going to have E15 this summer. Do you know that in Louisville there are service stations that have E15 pumps? They have no E15. (laughs) It's (laughs) the stupidest thing. But but they shouldn't be. It shouldn't be E15 anyway. When EPA did the testing, EPA and the and the federal uh, labs did the testing 14 years ago, 13 years ago. They tested E15 and E20. And E20 had the same positive, good, re, good, good results that E15 had. They should have never said, let's do E15. They should have gone right to E20. But the EPA is not proactive and politicians are not typically proactive. So they didn't do that. All they did was stick with E15 and it's taken them now 14 years, 15 years to finally say let's get, let's roll out E15. We we should be we should be where Brazil is at least, right? We should be running at least E27 and maybe higher.
1: Yeah, and so Minnesota government... Yeah, Minnesota corn growers did a study probably 5, 8 years ago something like that showing E30 in a regular gas engine. That was the best fuel economy they got. E30, not E15, not E20, yep. not E27 like Brazil, E30. Hey, Mark, uh, we could talk all day about this, uh, but we're, yep. we we got to run. <laughs> I I really, okay. really appreciate having you on the show. Again, this is Mark Rausch. Uh, just go to theautochannel.com, and you can see more of what he does. But, Mark, again, we really, really appreciate having you on the show. Thanks a lot, and uh, thanks for coming to the field day last year. Uh, people who listened to you speak, uh, they thought it was fantastic.
3: Oh, great. Good. Thanks, guys. You bet. Have a great day.
1: Yep, you too. Bye-bye. Alright so again on the show today we are talking biofuels and right after this we're going to switch and and instead of talking just ethanol we want to talk a little about biodiesel because there's some new there have been some new studies done some new work being done with the whole biodiesel thing and it's it's really a big area gasoline and diesel are the two main fuels here in the United States for vehicles okay so we've talked about the gasoline side and ethanol we want to get to this diesel thing it's kind of interesting what's happening We'll talk about it next. 360 Yield Saver pays back fast. Hi, Greg Souder from 360 Yield Center. For a 12 row corn head, harvesting 2,000 acres of corn, you'd spend $7,200 on the Yield Savers. Those replacement gathering chains cut header loss by 80%. With today's corn prices, the grain you save will pay for the investment of 360 Yield Saver in less than 600 acres. This crop is too valuable to leave bushels in the field due to header loss. Put that extra grain back in your tank with 360 Yield Saver.
0: Here at Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support the ag industry. That's why at our free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event Saturday, June 24th, we're giving away more than 100 college scholarships. Join us as we head into the field for hands-on sessions covering everything from how to pull soil and plant tissue tests, ways to improve crop health, the importance of microbiology and farming, and much more. Plus, in our comprehensive guide to crop scouting, we'll explore both above and below ground in a variety of crops as we diagnose problems with insects, weeds, diseases, and anything else we may find. As we're giving away tens of thousands of dollars in scholarships to eligible attendees, this day is geared more towards students and young farmers. But anyone with the desire to learn more about agronomy is more than welcome. So whether you're a college student or just want the good agronomy info, this is one event you won't want to miss. Come to the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships Day at Saturday, June 24th on the Hefty Farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Learn more and register at agphd.com.
4: It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in and Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing you and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach
2: to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us.
1: Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, along with my brother Darren. We are live in the Morton studio. We've been talking biofuels all throughout the show today. And next on, we have Steve Howell with us. He's with Mark 4 Consulting, and he's been a senior technical advisor for the National Biodiesel Board and been involved with the Biodiesel Task Force for a long time now. Steve, we're uh, super happy to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. Uh, We're ready to talk a little bit of biodiesel today, so let me start you with this. Uh, t- tell us about what's going on with the RFS volumes, the renewable fuel standards, and, and what's happening with our with our government today.
4: Yeah, so it's a pleasure to be on today and looking forward to our to our talk here. Um, we are we are patiently waiting uh, the, the latest RFS volumes from our friends at the EPA. Um, we requested some pretty significant volume increases compared to last year. Um, that's because uh, people are a lot more interested in low-carbon fuels these days than they were just a few years ago with all the climate change things going on and a lot of corporate corporate folks wanting to reduce their carbon footprint. So we requested some higher volumes, and we're hopeful EPA is going to come through there this year.
1: Yeah, and if we get those higher volumes... What kind of impact is that going to have on overall diesel prices? I, I'm assuming you have, have done studies on this in the past, but if we didn't have biodiesel, where would our diesel prices be?
4: Yeah, you know, and there have been studies done along that. And since since we provide more volume and more fuel volume is there, you know, it's just general supply and demand. The more volume, then the lower the, the fuel prices are going to be. And so it's somewhere, you know, and I've, I'm going to forget the numbers here because the economics is not, my strong seat in the group, but it's probably somewhere around 5 to 15 cents a gallon, if I remember right, that diesel would be higher than that much higher uh, if it weren't for biodiesel being around. So uh, it not only provides jobs for farmers and jobs for, for manufacturing and uh, production plants and the distribution system and railroads and truckers and all that, but uh, it also helps uh, reduce the, the price of diesel fuel to uh, to all the folks who use it.
1: Now, that price could be even less if, let's say, more people were using 100% biodiesel or B100. There was a study that uh, you had sent over to us, and I thought this was pretty interesting. So a big study on lots of miles with B100. The, the challenge in the past has been, well, like for us, we're, we're in the northern United States. It gets darn cold here. And if you get too much Biodiesel in in your blend, then we've had issues with gelling and just lots of problems. So, talk to us about what this study was showing and what the possibility would be moving forward to potentially go B one hundred someday.
4: Yeah, and that that is one of the most exciting things that we have going on right now. Um, we have a, a company that's provided that has a, a dual tank system, where one tank holds the B one hundred. One tank holds regular diesel fuel, and the, the truck actually starts up on diesel fuel. Then it warms the biodiesel tank, you know, with fluid through the, the cooling system, or in this case, the warming system. Um, and then it gets the biodiesel warm, so it's warm. And then once the biodiesel is, is liquid, then it switches to B100. Uh, and then when, it, when the truck shuts down, it switches back to normal diesel. So you've got diesel in all the lines, and it will start up again the next day. And so that, that system is provided by a company called Optimus Technologies, and it's called the Vector System. And Archer Daniels Midland, ADM, you know, small little company a few folks might know about, um, they tested it out, in 10 of their uh, their Mack trucks, Class 8, Max MIs, running up and down the road between Cater and St. Louis, same exact route, same exact mileage, um, same exact drivers, you know, for, for over 16 months, ran over 1.3 million miles, and they compared five... Five trucks running on the B100 with the Optimus system and five with just regular diesel. And in this case, it was B11 because that's what's available in Illinois. And over that period of time, they found that the fuel economy with B100 and it operated during the wintertime because that heated system, you can even run that when it's, you know, minus 20 degrees because uh, the engine, you know, heat, the cooling system heats up the biodiesel tank. So no problems, you know, from that standpoint. And so it really solves the the cold flow issue with biodiesel, with that system. And they saw about the fuel economy was the same, maybe even a little bit better. They saw about 50% fewer DPF regens, or you have to regen the diesel particulate filter with those new engines, with all of the after-treatment systems that are on them. Uh, And they saw less actual ash accumulation in the particulate filter so really a clean bill of health and superior performance to even conventional diesel fuel you know over that you know 16 month trial so you
1: just said the words 20 below zero we've got people listening today that literally at times will get to 50 below zero so does the temperature really matter with that heating system that they've got there is there a bottom end limit to it is there a certain cutoff in the united states or up in canada where we say yeah we don't want to go north uh, of this line or uh, what's that look like
0: Well,
4: that's a really good question. I I know they've tested it down to to minus 20. I don't know that they've tested it down to minus 50, however. (laughs) So uh, I'll be actually on the phone with them here later this week. I'll ask that question and see if we can come up with an answer. But um, I don't know if there is an actual lower limit to that. Um, so uh, I'll have to find that out and get back with you later on that one. <laughs>
1: well, if you're if you're looking for alt, uh, ultra cold testing, I'm sure some of our friends in Canada can help you out with that. So, anyway, okay. it, it, we we've had a number of people who have been talking to us about the whole biodiesel thing over the years, but as we go north, like I said, the cold weather is really our our biggest concern. So. You believe that this this would probably solve that problem. I, I'm curious, how long does that regular diesel run in there to get everything warm? I mean, is this something where it just takes five minutes? Does it take an hour? How long does that take? Do you know?
4: Yeah, it, it doesn't take that long. In fact, um, uh, the typical kind of operating times, it will run on uh, on the B100 somewhere between 90 to 97% of the time. So it's running on B100 for the for the majority of the running time.
1: Yeah, and the other thing about it, even though we say, hey, we're cold and it's way up north and everything else, we do, do still get warm days, and there are a lot of times where we'd like to be running with more biodiesel, but nobody has this kind of setup. So, yeah, I think that's that's real interesting. So this dual tank system, is this something that's commercially available today, or they're still in testing with it?
4: So it is, uh, I'll, I'll say at the beginning of commercialization, okay. um, they have units in the Washington, D.C. fleet. They have units in the Madison, Wisconsin fleet. Um, in fact, Optimus as a company just got $17 million of uh, additional Series A venture capital in so they can start growing those volumes and they can either start retrofitting existing you know, units and existing trucks or, or they if, if someone's buying a new truck, um, the Pepsi company is, is actually buying a whole series of new trucks, and they're, they're outfitting uh, the trucks that they buy with the Optima system, uh, you know, as they're actually building the trucks that they buy that are their new ones. So um, so they're, they're just starting that commercialization process now, um, and, uh, you know, the, the venture capital came from Mitsui, which is a very large, you know, Japanese conglomerate. They, they do shipbuilding and chemicals and iron and steel and, and, steel and minerals. Uh, and then Chevron and REG. Chevron recently bought Renewable Energy Group, one of our largest biodiesel companies, and so they're they're together now. You know, REG is still pretty much operating as REG, um, but they also invested in that. So that that gives you an indication about the. Uh, you know how promising uh, folks think this technology really is.
1: The bio you brought up bio, biodiesel companies, the biodiesel plants have been doing pretty well here lately. I know I I'm invested and so is uh well, we we have a lot of farmers who are listening today who have invested into biodiesel plants, but that market's been pretty good for the last couple of years.
4: It it has and and we we are really looking for that market to to really blossom to be even larger. Um in fact, one of our one of the, the 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 concerns that we have is we're probably going to need more soybean oil, you know, to supply the the volumes that people are asking for, you know, in the future, because it really is the least cost way to get to a low carbon, you know, with the existing vehicles, you know, and existing infrastructure. Uh, and there's a lot of companies now that have carbon goals, you know, Amazon has a net zero carbon goal, Pepsi has a 75% carbon goal, you know, and they're looking at what their realistic available options are. You know, and biodiesel used in higher blends is one of those realistic options.
1: Yeah, and Steve, I'm glad you brought that up, because if you can hang on with us during this next break here, uh, I wanted to come back and ask you a little about carbon and also, then also about fuel quality and some of the new standards and things like that, new, new, uh, new possibilities that we have with biodiesel. So anyway, if you can hang on, we'll continue talking about that. Uh, we've been talking with Steve Howell here with Mark 4 Consulting. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this.
2: Get uniform control in your fields with trusted, hard-working Lucento fungicide. Control the toughest diseases with a dual mode of action fungicide that consistently outperforms the competition and field trials. Lucento fungicide from FMC works over time for lasting control to help improve crop yields. Talk about getting the job done. Visit your FMC retailer or lucento.ag.fmc.com for hardworking control in your fields. Always read and follow all label directions.
0: You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we open up our farm to you so you can learn more ways to improve your farm, and the Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. This year, we're featuring guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, numerous panels of the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running in our demo area than we've ever had before we we'll also have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drinks available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything is free. We know that you're busy and your time is valuable. That's why we do everything we can to make sure the Ag PhD Field Day is a very worthwhile investment of your time. So please, go to agphd.com to learn more, and be sure to register to join us at this year's AgPHD PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th.
2: Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get more points with the end zone from MFG. In a 20,000 bushel soybean bin, gaining three points of moisture adds the equivalent of 900 bushels to your bottom line. Call 712-520-6051.
1: Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. We've been talking biofuels today, and we are pleased to be joined by Steve Howell. He is down in Kansas, uh, or I should say Kearney, Missouri, and he is with uh, Mark 4 Technology or Mark 4 Consulting. Uh, sorry Steve I'm just looking through all my notes I got so much to ask you and I only have 10 minutes left so let's start with this uh, fuel quality and the low metals great can you can you talk to us about that just a little bit and what's going on with biodiesel versus regular fuel
4: I, I sure can and, and that that is really one of the exciting things that has happened here over the last year or so um, I, I chair the ASTM standards task group I've been doing that since 1994 you know and, and every time that diesel engines change or that diesel fuel changes we need to go in and make sure that the standards we've set for the fuel are are still still good and still are going to be protective of the equipment and 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 provide good performance so when when we went to ultra low sulfur diesel fuel we found we had to change some things when we went to you know the after treatment technologies we found we had to change some things and so we just got done with a huge study you know, largely funded by the Soybean Checkoff Program, almost a million dollars worth of research over three or four years, uh, to do a a long-term study evaluating the metals levels for biodiesel versus the metals levels for diesel fuel and confirming that those products, if we have a four parts per million metals biodiesel, confirming that that's going to operate as well as conventional diesel fuel. And That study just got completed, and we got a clean bill of health over a long-term durability test, and we use that information to change the standards for metals. And that's one of the key things the the engine companies and the, the OEMs were were concerned about with biodiesel is it going to have an impact on the the new after-treatment technologies? And we're we're happy to say that the answer to that is no. In fact, it it could be better. You know, we had less ash accumulation in the DPS with that that ADM study we talked about earlier. So we just changed the standards for metals from 10 parts per million down to 4 ppm and have a low metals grade that's specifically, you know, designed for the new engines of today. And that really bodes well for the engines of tomorrow um, because they're going to have even more after treatment on engines in the future. And so us putting in that low metals grade really bodes well for the quality of the biodiesel that's out there in the marketplace today.
1: Okay, so I I should know this, but talk to us about metals in regular diesel fuel.
4: So, so the the metals in biodiesel come from the catalyst that we use. We use okay. sodium hydroxide or potassium hydroxide. Yep. Or the calcium and magnesium wash water we use. So those are potential metals. They shouldn't be there, and we, we found now that we've a, we've essentially totally removed those with the, today's processing, the improvements that we put into place in two thousand eight for ultra low sulfur diesel fuel we have almost no metals in the body so today anyway it's less than one ppm on average uh, in the the 95th percentile a technical term for 95 uh, percent uh, of the fuel is less than that is, is 3 ppm and uh, our new lower spec is 4 ppm so the the current fuels are already meeting that diesel fuel has virtually no metals um because you know it's made through a distillation process so that distillation okay. basically removes all the metals so diesel should have just about zero metals or although either biodiesel or diesel can pick up some metals in the distribution system. But from a refining perspective, it's possible to have some in biodiesel, but uh, we really don't see a whole lot in diesel fuel from a refinery perspective. So, so that's been one of the things that we've been working on uh, and happy to say that um, we we changed the spec to that lower grade and that's going to be good for all the new engines and whatnot up to B20. Um, And we're actually starting to do work now on the new engines. That are coming up in 2027 and 2031 they're going to have two sets of of knox scr systems instead of just one and they're going to have longer full useful life so we'll be even more sensitive to metals and we think the metals levels just in today's fuel um, are already probably good enough for those new engines but we're doing check testing again sponsored by the soybean checkoff program gotta give a shout out to all the soybean farmers out there without their support and every time one of these big changes happen we soybean checkoff provides funding for us to use to do all this testing without that you know none of this stuff would have happened so you know really shout out to all the soybean farmers for all their support and uh and it's it's being successful we're seeing very good success out in the marketplace
1: all right our last topic is uh, that i think we're gonna have time for today is the big one it's carbon you mentioned it right before our break but it's not just the government out there is saying oh we have to reduce carbon there are a lot of private companies that this is one of their top focus points here over the next few years. They want to have low carbon sources of everything. So can you talk to us about carbon when it comes to biodiesel versus regular diesel?
4: Well, we sure can. And that that is becoming the single biggest driving force for our industry today. Um, You know, it does reduce emissions, it provides jobs, it has a lot of positive benefits biodegradable it's non-toxic you know provides less you know cancerous exhaust those type of things but right now today carbon is really driving it because when you when from a biodiesel perspective carbon in the air grows a plant or an animal and we take take that material and the fat and we make it into body so then we burn that and put that co2 back in the air so we use a little bit of carbon to make all those things because you know our infrastructure you know the diesel fuel we use for farming is not totally carbon-free. The electricity we use is not totally carbon-free. The natural gas we use to run our plants is not carbon-free. So we emit a little bit of carbon as we do all that. Lifecycle-wise, it's about 70 to 80% less carbon in the atmosphere than diesel fuel, which takes carbon out of the ground and puts 100% up into the atmosphere. So we reduce carbon just by the nature of it being a, a renewable, recycled fuel. About seventy to eighty percent compared to conventional diesel fuel.
1: Okay, so when you say that, immediately every company should go. Well, I'm on board. So why isn't every company on board?
4: Well, we're we're starting to see a lot of that. So what we're starting to see is, you know, a lot of companies had uh you know, goals or aspirations, and it really didn't become reality uh, until just recently here. So those companies who are putting in those goals where those goals are not just something that you want to do, but something you really have to do, they are coming to us now. And that's why we're predicting volumes of biodiesel and renewable diesel are going to go from current volumes today, which is about 3 billion gallons, to 6 billion gallons in 2030. And we're probably going to hit that before 2030 and then 15 billion gallons in 2050. And we might even go, you know, further than that uh, if we can develop more low-carbon sources for oils and fats, you know, uh, in addition to what, you know, we're we're already planning to do.
1: Okay, so you brought up find more sources for low-carbon. I I mean, let's let's talk about, you mentioned before, all right, if I'm going to operate my biodiesel plant, if I'm going to farm, I, I mean, using carbon to make these things... What's being done on that side of it to reduce the carbon footprint going into the the whole process?
4: Well, you know people and you know up until now, people really haven't thought that much about that to nope. be honest with you. Nope. so people are just kind of thinking about it now. and obviously, you know if you want to lower your carbon footprint of, let's say soybeans, which is becoming important too, then you know you could use you know one of those optimus systems in your tractor and run, b 100 instead of using just regular petroleum diesel fuel or you can use it in your current system right now using b20 without the Optima system you know which will still work in cold weather you know so you can use more low carbon fuels whenever you're whenever you're using a diesel fuel you could use a low carbon fuel that will help you lower your carbon footprint you can put solar panels and things like that on your production plant so you can use renewable electricity versus using natural gas to power your plant Um, so really as as we decarbonize the fuels that we use and as we decarbonize, you know, the power that we use for production plants and transportation, railroads, over-the-road semis, you know, if, if we, we burn some fuel and release some carbon as our products, our ag products, are being taken to market, if those semi-trucks and railroads would use more bodies so that would lower their carbon footprint, which would then lower the carbon footprint of our products. So, so people are just starting to think about that now And when they look at what those costs are and what the available technology is, you know, biodiesel is a true winner. So that's why we're predicting volume increases um, here over the future.
1: Yeah, we're going to have to check out that uh, that vector system you mentioned from Optimus Technologies. Uh, Again, we've been talking with Steve Howell. Steve, we really appreciate the time today. This has been great stuff. Hope to have you on the show again in the future. Again, Steve Howell, he is with Mark 4 Consulting. Thanks, Steve. You bet. Have
0: it. day. You too. It's a big topic, and it's one that we all need to get a little more educated on. If you're raising these crops, that can be utilized as biofuels. You should know some of these things. Our dad, one of his favorite things was to pull into a gas station where he's going to fill up and then look for who's filling up with ethanol or not filling up with ethanol, or look who's filling up with biodiesel, those types of things, and then just open that conversation. Hey, I'm a farmer. I actually raise this stuff. And, and just share some more information about that. So great show today. It's really fun hearing from, from experts that are working on this every day. Thanks for listening to today's program. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.